Amen. Good morning, everybody. This is a, a little bit too loud. I'm just going to quickly make an adjustment. There you go. One, two. Can you, can you still hear me? Still? No? Can you, Daphne, can you hear me now? You can. Okay, good. It's always good when people at the back can hear. <laughs> uh, okay, so there we go. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. You must be born again. Um, I was reading um, a passage uh, the other day where um, it mentioned about adoption. Um, I think it was Romans 8. And I thought to myself, hold on, adoption and born again, which one is it? Um, and it, was, it turned into a bit of a, a monster debate in my mind. Um, and it turned into a bit of a, a mammoth thesis rather than a sermon. So I didn't think I'd come up here and read 10,000 words to you. So um, you would have been here till lunchtime. Um, so we're going to look at the, the born again part. Um, but just so you're aware, spoiler alert, born again and adoption, they kind of both work together. So don't worry, it's not a big, big controversy at all. Um, but they do dovetail, as everything does in the Bible. When you see a contradiction in the Bible, it's because it dovetail, dovetails with each other. Okay, what you think is a contradiction anyway, because there are no contradictions. Anyway, sorry, I'm waffling. Okay, <laughs> so uh, let's, let's pray. I, you know, we need you, so we need, we need God. So let's, let's pray as we come to look at his word. Father God, we need you now. We need you to feed, feed us by your spirit through your word. We need you to help us to understand this mystery of being born again. Father, help us now to focus on you, to put all the distractions aside and to just listen to what you are saying. Lord, may I decrease and you increase through what I said. And help me to be clear in what I say. Help me not to waffle. And Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name, by your spirit, for your glory. Amen. Amen. So another book that I've been reading recently uh, um, is called Core Christianity. It's a book by a guy called Michael Horton. I recommend it. It's like a, a systematic theology type thing. And uh, it uses a four-point um, system to look at the things of God. So the four points are drama, D for drama. If you're writing notes, this would be very helpful. D for drama. So what is happening in the story that you're looking at or the events that you're looking at or what is being described in the Bible. The next D is doctrine. It's a bit of a scary word, but it just means what does it tell us about what God is like and what does it tell us what we are like. Um, doxology, that's a, another weird D, um, which is basically praising God. So when you see a doxology, there's Paul's famous doxology in Romans um, and where he just bursts into praise. Um, so out of everything that he's described. <clears throat> and then there's discipleship, D for discipleship, which, talks, which is how we can apply what we've learned in the drama and the doctrine and praising God, how we can then live that out um, day by day. So we're going to look at John chapter 3. Um, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 3 because we'll basically be in there. Um, let me just give you a, a bit of context because a text without context is a con. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> let's see where this account comes in John's Gospel. If you look at briefly chapter two, it's the wedding in Cana. Who's been to a wedding? You've probably heard that sermon, so there we go. Um, 
Then, once he's made water out of wine, he goes down to Capernaum, and he stays there for a few days. And then Jesus cleanses the temple, which is a bit weird. He's just done a marvelous miracle, and he goes in, and he's like, get out, like guys, guys said, and, you know, um, gets people, throws people out of the, the temple because he's jealous for, um, for God's house, um, for his house not to be disrespected. And the Jews come to him after he's done this and say, who are you, and... Um, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Okay. Um, and Jesus answers them with the biggest sign of all, which is him dying on the cross and rising in after three days. But they don't know it because he describes it in, um, he'll, he'll um, knock down the temple and he will build it again in three days. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. <clears throat> so, now we come to John chapter three, which is the drama. Here we go. So are you ready for the drama? <laughs> um, so we're going to look at the v- first four verses for the drama, because it kind of, this passage kind of breaks down nicely into the four Ds anyway. So we'll, we'll, we'll look at those. So drama, John chapter one, 3, verse 1 to 4. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this guy could have been one of the guys who said to Jesus, what, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Um, he could have been one of those people. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man, sorry, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's a good question. (laughs) Uh, So, when I look at um, Bible passages, I I like to kind of ask journalistic questions. So, the who, what, where, when, how, why, all those kind of things. So, who and when. So, who is involved in this passage? It's Nicodemus and Jesus. So, let's look at Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. Who knows what a Pharisee was? Anyone know what a Pharisee was off the top of their head? Okay, I had to research it as well. He was a Jew, a hardcore Jew, who would study, 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 um, and basically they ran schools and education for the Jews to go to and and listen uh, and and learn about um, their faith. Um, And they were often the the mouthpiece for the majority of the Jews at the time. So if, if, you know, they probably related with the Romans quite a lot. Um, they didn't think that the temple, that temple-based worship was the right way to go. And they said that worship could and should be done away from the temple. So they're, they're halfway there. You know, they've looked in the Bible and they've seen that God isn't just worshiping his temple, he's, he's in our hearts. So that was quite forward thinking for the time. Um, he was a ruler, it says. And uh, he has a lot of um, education, as said, and a high standing. But... He came at night to Jesus, it says here. So this man came to Jesus by night and said to him. Now, practically, if you go somewhere by night, you kind of do it for secrecy. Um, Or, um, as I read, apparently, it's traditional not to bother a rabbi during the day because they're busy teaching. Um, But symbolically, he comes in the night. So he comes to Jesus in the darkness. That was an interesting uh, thought that came to me while I was reading this. 
So that's Nicodemus, and then we've got Jesus. So Jesus had obviously made a, an impression on Nicodemus um, through clearing the temple and all the signs that he had done, so the signs that he had done at Cana and all the signs that he had done um, in, in uh, the other places as well. Where was he? Um, Jerusalem. <laughs> um, he knew that Jesus was well-educated because he, he addresses him, Rabbi. Um, so he recognizes that. He also recognizes that Jesus had come from God and he recognized that God validates or authenticates his messages with signs. So if you think about Jewish history, and if you think of Moses, think about the signs that God gave him to prove that he was sent by God. If you think of um, Joshua and the signs that he, he did, and Elijah would be another one as well. You know, think about Mount Carmel where Elijah did that, or Elijah didn't do it, but God, God showed himself through Elijah, um, about how Moses did the Exodus, whole Exodus thing, about how he did the serpent on the stick. Well, God did that through him, but God authenticates his messengers with signs. Um, so that's something we, we know, and that's something that Nicodemus realized. So what? What does Nico actually ask him? He doesn't actually ask him any question at all. If you get, he says, uh, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There's no question mark. There's no question. There's like, so who are you? Or, you know, what's your reason for this? It's just a, just a statement. And Jesus interrupts him. Jesus interrupts him. Um, and he goes right to the heart of the issue that Nicodemus um, is, is trying to get at. Um, and he blindsides him with all this born-again stuff, which we're going to read in, in a minute. So, well, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is completely taken aback by that. Um, it's like, that's just crazy. Um, so Jesus goes on to explain. And so where Jesus explains, we're going to look at some... Doctrine, we. Um, what does it tell us about God? And what does it tell us about ourselves? So, Jesus goes on, look at your Bibles, verses five to 15, we're gonna read. I'm just gonna drink a bit of water. Okay. So Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you, a teach are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus explains this three ways. Um, he says that we are to be born again. Okay, in verse three, he says, unless a man is born again, or unless one is born again, sorry, 
unless one is born again. So there's no possibility that you can see the kingdom of God without being born again. But if you look in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, you'll probably see a little A or a number one or something like that. What's it in mine? Where's it gone? Born again. It's got a little number three. And if you go down to the bottom of your Bible or in the column, you might see a number three, and it says, or from above. Okay, so, and the Greek apparently is ambiguous and means both from, from above and again. So, if we ask to be born from above, that is something that we can't do. I mean, we can't even be born again, as, Nic- as Jesus explains you know, to, to, um, to Nicodemus. It's not a physical rebirth. It's rebirth from above, and it is an imperative. But Nicodemus doesn't even get that kind of basic kind of human illustration. So Jesus goes on to explain to him, again, with some imagery which seems really weird to us, like um, speaks of being water and spirit, flesh is flesh, born of spirit is spirit, the wind blows, no one knows where it comes from or where it goes, you know, someone has ascended and descended, you know, all these things. They all sound a bit strange to someone who, who wants to know how to be born again. But Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is an Old Testament scholar. He knew it back to front. Um, so he, would have, he should have realized what Jesus was saying. And what Jesus is saying here, through born of water and spirit, he's referring back to a passage in Ezekiel. Everyone loves Ezekiel, don't you? Ezekiel. Let's just have a quick look at Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel 36, if you'll keep your finger in John 3, if you've got your Bibles. just need to find Ezekiel now. There it is. Chapter 36. So this comes um, towards the end-ish of Ezekiel um, and talks about how um, God is going to um, rescue and redeem um, Israel. And uh, this is where God describes renewal coming through, sprinkling of water in a cleansing form, and then putting in a new heart and a new spirit. So, born of water, let's read um, 25 to 27. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put my spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the water thing, cleansing, it's purifying. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, from all your idols. It's a purification thing that Israel used to do in the temple, was the washing. Um, The water was also used to anoint kings and priests. And... In Ezekiel, when you think about um, the pouring, it's, it's symbolizing the outpouring of God's spirit as a sign of Jesus' coming to the Israelites. Born of spirit, in verse 26, 27. I'll give you a new heart. No, 27, sorry. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice that God does this. God puts his spirit in you. It's not something that we can drum up. It's not something that we can do. Um, But also notice that once God's spirit is in us, 
It will cause us to walk in his statutes, his laws, and be, be careful to obey my rules. Okay, so that's born of water and spirit. It's thought that sometimes the water refers to baptism, but um, baptism wasn't um, around then, um, or John's baptism was, was, but anyway, sorry, going off on a tangent. Okay, back to John 3. So even so, uh, Nicodemus is still confused. So Jesus goes on in verses 10 to 15 to explain even further. And he uses some phrases even here, which are a bit strange. And um, again, Nicodemus should know what these are all talking about as well. Oh, no, I've done that page. There we go. It's just checking. Yes, I've done that page. Right. This is the next page. Good. Uh, so what Jesus is speaking of as he acknowledges that Jesus is from heaven, sorry, that he has come from God. So Jesus again uses more Old Testament figures of speech, and he tells Nicodemus um, <clears throat> that about being born again is about someone who has come from God. Um, something that is not earthly, it's entirely of God from above. Sorry, I've kind of lost my train of thought here. Yes. So Jesus then goes for a heavenly explanation, because if Nicodemus didn't understand the earthly stuff, maybe, just maybe, he'll understand the heavenly things. Jesus then goes, uh, Jesus says that he is the only one who, is, who can ascend into heaven, as he is the only one who has descended. He's saying that Jesus, he is the only way to God, because he is the only one who came from heaven, lived a perfect life, died and was risen again. And by saying that, he's saying that no one who is on earth can ascend into heaven without being born again, of course, because Jesus has done that for us. I referred briefly to Moses lifting up the serpent earlier, and there it is in, in verse 14. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So if you know the story, there's like snakes going around and they're biting Israelites and it's really bad venom and they die. Um, but Moses, God tells Moses to put a, make a carving of a snake on a stick and put it up and they, um, they look to the snake on the stick and they are healed. Um, and that's a symbol of Jesus being lifted up on the cross, that we can look to Jesus on the cross and we can be healed of our sin. So even in those two verses here, where he says the Son of Man must be lifted up and whoever believes in him may have eternal life, Jesus is already hinting at his purpose. Notice that he uses the word must. So if Jesus must be lifted up, then we must be born again. So what does this tell us about God? <clears throat> all, this, all these 10 verses all of Jesus' explanation emphasizes the sovereignty of God in salvation. So God does it for us. The cleansing from above, the renewal of the heart by the Spirit, and the necessity of these two things to work together in order to enter the kingdom of God is clear to see in what Jesus is saying. And every time I dig deep in the Bible, it's all about God. God does it all. Out of kindness for fallen, sinful humans, for dead men, or good, dead humans to eternal life. He does it all. So what does it tell us about ourselves? This is the one thing that Christianity has over every other religion in the world. 
Jesus came to bring us to God. God doesn't stand far off and saying, come on, come, come on. You just need to do X, Y, and Z. Come on, come on. God doesn't say that. The gods of this world all want you to play a part in, their, in, in salvation. They want you to work. They want you to meditate. They want you to discover enlightenment. They want you to pay, even. But this would be all the more stark to, to Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, very strict, and who is only thinking of rules, rules, rules. But, there's, but they, they, his, all his studying and all his rules wouldn't bring him to God. When I was reading this, this passage, I looked at a couple of commentaries, and one of them was Matthew Henry. I don't know if you've ever read a Matthew Henry commentary. Oh, my word. Uh, it's just like... <laughs> so I've kind of summarized it because it's, it's really, really good. Um, so I've kind of decoded it a bit, I think. Um, so he decodes it in, th in three ways. So there are three reasons why we need rebirth, which I've kind of covered here. So we need rebirth because... Um, we can't do it because the author of rebirth is from the spirit. We need to be born of above. Our nature needs to change, and we can't change that ourselves because that which is of flesh is of flesh, as Jesus says. So we need the spirit. So author, nature, and necessity. So we need the spirit of God to change. We need the spirit of God to be born again. So participation time. Uh, just have a little think about this. Who had any active part when they were born here? Who had any active part when they, in their birth? Anyone? No. Okay, good. Because that's what I thought. I was thinking, when you, are re, when you are born, you have no active part. When you are reborn, you have no active part. You just, yeah. And as, as um, Jesus refers to the water and the spirit, can we pray for rain? We can pray for rain, but we can't make it rain. Um, so we need to be patient, we need to wait, and we need to be calling on God and asking him to make it rain spiritually for that cleansing, that renewal. I'm a bit of a sound geek, um, and I read a book about sound design in film and TV and all this kind of stuff. It's very interesting for me. Um, but there was one point it talked about the senses in the womb. And the senses in the womb, when you're developing, um, one of the first ones to develop is hearing. Okay? So when you're in the womb, when it's not yet born, um, one of the first senses it develops is hearing. And what does the Bible say of hearing? When you look at Romans 10, verse 17, it says, faith comes from hearing. Okay, we hear God's words, and sometime later we are born into an even greater relationship with our mothers. And when we are born, we're born from the womb, which is a very dark and watery place, I hear. Um, <laughs> when you are born, you are born into a whole new world. In the womb, you don't really know what's going on. It's all very muffled. You can't see. I'm not speaking from experience here. This, this is what I imagine it would be like. Um, it would be very muffled, and you, know, you wouldn't be able to see a whole lot. Um, you'd, all you'd know is like the inside of the womb. But when you are born, you're born into a whole new reality. You see colors. You can see the world. You see the tree. Well, not straight away, but eventually. You can see trees and flowers and all this kind of stuff. You can hear stuff. You can understand words. You can speak. You can communicate. 
So that's a really powerful illustration which Jesus is using, being born again. So when we are born again of the Spirit, we are born into a new reality, a greater reality, a spiritual reality. And I think it's easy, well, it's very easy, for us to become distracted by the things of the world and to be distracted by the things which are in the womb when really we should be born again and we should be looking to spiritual things. Okay. So, a bit more participation now. This is something which I've not done before. Oh, there you go. That was the reference. Never mind. Uh, doxology. So doxology means to praise. So when, you know the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's the famous doxology. We could sing that. But um, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to sing, <laughs> but we're going to stand. And I just want you to look at these verses on the screen. Can you see those? Can you read those? I want us to use this just for a, a few moments. Two or three of us will stand in a moment. And we'll, we'll pray prayers of thanks and praise to God. It's a bit weird. I know you're all kind of ready, you know, sitting to receive word. But this is just so good that God, you know, brings us into a greater reality through Jesus, through something which we can't do. He's done it for us all in Christ. So let's read this together. And then let's stand. And then we'll read this together. And um, we will then just two or three people pray prayers of thanks and praise. So thanks and praise. We're not praying for anything. We're just praising, okay? So let's read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Two or three people pray prayers of praise. I want to give so. thanks, Lord, to the word whoever. Lord, because whoever includes me. Amen. Lord, whoever includes all of us here. Amen. Lord, that whoever believes on you. Lord, I want to give you thanks that you have done everything. Lord, that I can simply come and believe. Amen. Lord, I want to thank you for such image that you Yes, Father God, we thank you that through this passage we can see how you work to redeem us. You work to bring us into that new life, Father, with you. Father, we can see that you, you cleanse us. We can see that you put a new spirit within us. Lord, and all we need to do is come to you. Lord, we all, all we need to do is come to you and believe, Father. But Lord, that belief comes through faith and faith comes through hearing. So Lord, help us to hear your words. Father, not just now, but Father, as we go um, from this place, Father. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats.
So you may have realized we've got to three Ds, but like any sermon, there's always one point more than you think. So there's the fourth D, um, which is the discipleship, where Jesus explains in these next few verses um, how we can put this in, what impact this should have on our lives. So this, is, this isn't theology, well it is kind of theology, this isn't like doctrine, this isn't like what's happening, this is stuff that we should put into practice in our lives. So, pardon me, uh, 18 to 21. So, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God, or sorry, of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we can see, if we just look at those verses, we can see if we believe, we are not condemned. As we've just read in those verses, we have eternal life. If we do not believe, we are condemned. We are condemned already, it says, just by not believing. So I'm not saying that your life is, you know, I don't know. You know, not judging, as they say, but our lives, God judges, and he judges everyone and he says everyone has, has, has you know, fallen far short of his, his standards. So if we do not believe, then we are condemned and we are under judgment. We are, um, whether we like it or not, we like the dark, we love the dark places, and that's our sinful nature. then God comes as light, shines his light. So if God has shone his light, then we are to do the things. So whoever does what is true comes to the light so that may clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When we do things out of response for what God has done for us, we do those, we carry those out in God so that, we, so, that they may, so that it may be clearly seen. I read Oswald Chambers, um, My Utmost for His Highest, it's utmost.org, it's really easy to remember. There you go, go to that website and there it is. And I read one the other day and it said, um, Jesus obeyed the Father because he was God's son. Jesus didn't obey the Father in order to become God's son. So when we look at our lives and think about what we're doing, we're not doing our things in order to achieve salvation, to achieve a relationship with God. We're doing things because we have a relationship with God. So think about that when you're doing these things. When you're doing these things, if we, do, if we are born again, we must be doing the things um, which are in the light in God. So the biggest question here is, uh, have I got a slide for this? There we go. You must be born again. 
that's an imperative. If you're gonna see the kingdom of God, if you're gonna see God's rule and reign in your life, if you're going to see heaven, eternity with God, if you're gonna have that relationship with him, you must be born again. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. If, if you are born again, then there's impacts on that, but if you are not born again, you must be born again. I'm not saying that, the Bible says it, and the Bible is God's word to us today. So we've read about the drama of being born again. Sorry, let's go again, here we go. We've read about the drama of being born again. Are you born again? Okay, does it show in your life that you are born again? I'm not talking about, you know, crazy born again Christians. You know, people use that as an adjective to describe people. But all Christians are born again. If you're a Christian, you must be born again. Doctrine, it tells us um, what it means to be born again. Okay, do we know that in our hearts? Do we know that? Does it inform how we live? Does it inform what we think and what we do? Does it inform what we watch on TV? Does it inform what we listen to? Does it inform the things we say to people? All these things, the doctrine should inform how we live our lives because it tells us what we're like and it tells us what God is like. So doxology, do we praise God for what he has done in our lives? Do we realize just what he's done? It's not just singing praise. We can pray prayers, prayers of praise as we've just done. But we can praise him for his mercy and his grace, that he's given us his spirit, that he's washed us, that he's done all these things in, just in this passage, just in this act of being born again. Do we praise God for that? And finally, discipleship. Does it impact your life? Does it impact your walk with God? Does it impact your walk with others? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that even though we are in a situation where we cannot be born again, Father, through our own action, Lord, you have done it for us. We thank you, God, for Jesus that you have sent into the world Father, your beloved only son that you sent into the world, that he should be lifted up, that he should be um, killed on a cross, taking the punishment of our sin. Father, because without this, Lord, we would perish. Thank you, God, that the gospel isn't not really what would Jesus do, but it's what has Jesus done now believe that. Father, thank you for what Jesus has done. Lord, may it take roots in our hearts. Lord, where our hearts are stony and um, fleshy, Father, change them into a heart of spirit. Father, put your spirit within us. That we may then go out and live lives which honor you, which show the world just how good you are to us, which shows um, our, our family, our friends, Lord, just what you are like. Lord, whatever is of you, Lord, may it remain in our hearts and may it go out through our, our daily living. Whatever has been of me, Father, just take it away. Um, Father God, would you um, come and rule and reign in our hearts, Father, and, and make us those disciples, Father, of you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Okay. Okay. Team want to come and get ready. I'm really in two minds to what, whether to share what was on my heart because there's so much in sim, similar there. Oh, I just really don't know what to do. Lord, help me. Um, I'm just going to read a verse and make a comment um, because I think this is a real challenge. You must be born again. And um, I don't know about you what your understanding of Christian life is. Are you struggling each day without power? Are you overcome with wrong thoughts? Are you struggling to find a sense of the presence of God? You know, are you trying to work your way in your Christian life? You know, what's the Christian life like for you? And I think this is what Drew's been saying. When you're born again, something dramatic changes. Amen? Has your life changed because Jesus has come into it? Um, the verse that I had was this. It's from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Uh, I'll read 13. It says, For we are beside ourselves. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Um, and I, I read this very interesting uh, quote from Toza that basically says, if you're a Christian, can you put your hand up if you're a Christian this morning? Um, well, basically, you're crazy. Because this is, and this is, this is why. Um, a real Christian is an odd number. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen, talks familiar, familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order that he might be full, admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up. He's strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worst. He, I don't know about that one. He, he, um, he dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep. He sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. Now that is mad. And as Paul said, I'm beside myself. And this is what he says. And he says, if we're in our right mind, it is for you. So let's not be crazy amongst people who don't know Jesus. Let's be communicative. And he says, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us, constrains us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ has, this is what, is the, you think about free will. Who has free will here? This is a test. Because when the love of God comes into your life when you're born again, I tell you what, you lose a bit of your free will every day. Because the love of Christ compels me. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Because I've tasted of the love of Christ. I've seen he died for all. The person that you sat on the bus next to. The kids that leave their litter and cause trouble in the week. The person who lives next door and plays their music too loud. The person who's grumpy every morning at work. He, he died for your children and your parents, your cousins and your, 
your wife and your husbands or whatever, he died for all people. Now, there may be some that he only died for some. He says he died for all. But we are beside ourselves. It is for God. And for the love of Christ compels me. We've concluded he died for all. Therefore, all died. He died for all. There's a lot of people walking dead in our society. Christ died for them that they might live. Amen? And if you read this passage, it goes on and he says, he says from now on, we're not going to regard anyone according to the flesh. I'm no longer going to look at my neighbor according to their natural issues. I'm going to look at them as a spiritual being who's in need of becoming alive by the Spirit, being born from above. And he goes on, he says, he says this, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, born again. And then he goes on and he says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's a compelling, and I read that in Oswald Chambers a few weeks ago, the compelling of God. When Jesus was 13 years old, he went to the temple and his, and his parents said, what are you doing? And he said, I must be about my father's business, it says in the New King James. When he went to the cross, he said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. There was a compelling. He came for that, that reason. And he came and he's deposited that same love in our hearts. Romans 5, Romans 5 verse 5, I think. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. If we lose the compelling of God, of love for one another and for the world, maybe we've lost touch with God somehow and we need to open up our hearts again. Lord, will you show me your love again? But maybe just to finish with this, we must be born again because otherwise it's work, 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 as we've heard. Amen? It's wonderful, isn't it? What a wonderful passage. What a wonderful news that we don't have to work our way. Other religions, sects, and all sorts of different things, as what Drew said earlier, said the gods of this world will make you work for it. But God has provided it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. If the worship team want to come, we'll worship. And let's just be open. If you've not been, if you sense in your heart, I need to be born again, I will encourage you to come forward and someone will pray for you that God will come and pour out his spirit upon you and make you new. Amen? So if the prayer ministry team or elders can just be available, that'd be great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love of Christ. Lord, not our love for Christ that compels us, but the love of your love that you've poured out upon us in your great provision that you died for all, that whoever believes... Lord, can be born from above, a new creation. The old has gone, passed away. Oh, Lord, will you come? Lord, and help us taste your love afresh, Lord, as we close this meeting in worship, as we open up our hearts. For those who need to know your touch, will you come and give them boldness and courage to step out, believe in you, that you can change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.